to recognize that to, to get the best out of your people and to treat them all equally well means treating people differently in the very real sense of the word. Hello and welcome to Zebra Talk. My name is Matt Mayer. I'm your host and today I'm in conversation with Limbert Spencer OBE from the Centre for Inclusive Leadership. In today's conversation we'll be exploring the differences between the diversity agenda and creating genuine inclusivity in your organisation. We'll be thinking about how the current context is changing the approach organisations are taking to inclusivity, particularly in the digital workplace, and thinking ahead to the future and the opportunities that are unlocked by a new way of working. Limba, it's absolutely fantastic to uh, be in conversation with you again. I haven't seen you for some time. I think in in the interim, you've spoken to pretty much all of my staff on the topic of inclusivity, but we haven't caught up for uh, best part of six, seven months. Absolutely fantastic to have you on Zebra Talk today. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. And it's been uh, a real joy to be engaged with the organisation and to meet up with so many of your people. I mean, you've got some very uh, engaged and enthusiastic people when it comes to this agenda, I think. Well, certainly this uh, most recent period with everyone um, away from the office environment has been the, the acid test of how strong a culture is. And uh, I'm really pleased with the way things have uh, things have worked out. The first time we did meet was at a Zebra Project event where we were talking um, about diversity and inclusivity. And there was a light bulb moment, certainly for, for me, and I know for many of the other people in the room, when you drew a clear distinction between the terms of inclusivity and, and diversity, which I think are often blurred in a corporate context. I thought it'd be really interesting just to just to start by exploring that topic again. Yes, I I think I I think it's a really really key issue, and I often go further uh, and say that um, uh, equality, diversity, and inclusion is not a thing; uh, they are different things. And the extent to which we really understand the distinctions almost determines our potential for being successful when it comes to the wider agenda. And and so for me equality or equal opportunities about the the framework, whether it be about the legislation or the organization's rules or regulations. But it's kind of the floor beneath which you mustn't drop, you know? Aspiring to provide people equal opportunity is not an aspiration. It's a requirement and, and that you almost take as read. And then diversity is merely for me difference. Different organizations use diversity to mean all sorts of things. But for me, it's simply difference. And it's more than that. It's not just about those different ways in which the anti-discrimination legislation designates our differences. So it's also about just looking at your, you now, whether you've got a beard or not got a beard, <laughs> whether, you know, how you dress, uh, your accent, and all of those differences can literally make a difference when it comes to how we engage with one another. Inclusion, on the other hand, for me is an emotion. It's about how we feel. And it's that that makes the difference. Because Nobody goes home and says, you know, I, I really had a great day at the office today. Nobody discriminated against me. You know, that, that just doesn't happen. However, this sense of feeling included, uh, that's really, really powerful. And that's what makes the difference when it comes to performance, ultimately. 
I think it's really interesting drawing that distinction between between what's a feeling and what's a what's a framework. And in fact, I always get I always check myself when I start talking about the diversity agenda or the inclusivity agenda because I'm not sure agenda is the right word to to capture it. But I think you've you've hit the nail on the head that for many organisations, it's a cultural trait that needs to be engendered in the organisation rather than a program. Yes, absolutely, uh, and. The minute you begin to understand that that's the issue or that's the thing that you're wanting to try and uh, create, you must begin to recognize that actually it's going to take time. Uh, You know, you can put a strategy in place if you're really rigorous and focused in a relatively short space of time. Uh, But creating a different culture or just moving the culture on a bit, that will take time and it takes energy, and it takes consistent behaviours from the culture carriers. Uh, And I think sometimes in organisations, the culture carriers are are not spotted by the leadership who wanting to change the culture, uh, because being in leadership doesn't mean to say that you are necessarily the culture carrier. You might be the one that shouts or the people that shout about what the culture needs to be, but there are some other people who are the ones who are influential, whose behaviours are emulated, and who become uh, or who are uh, culture carriers. And spotting them uh, is a really powerful thing to begin to do. You obviously work through um, the Centre for Inclusive Leadership, so it's interesting that you, you pick on the word leadership there. I'm, I'm really interested to, to learn a little bit more and, and share with our listeners about what the, what the centre does and how that focus on, on leadership rather than agenda uh, manifest itself well yes we would style ourselves as a uh, an inclusion centered human capital management business and we partner with organizations such as yourself to help them really understand the motivation and drivers for their people and help to create ecosystems in which those people can be retained also that you can attract other people uh, so that you can develop the people that you have within the organization. So, you know, our ideal situation is to have long-term ongoing relationships with with organizations that is more like, um, I don't know, a a trusted advisor uh, than somebody who comes in, does a bit and goes out again. And thinking about that idea of culture carriers, I think is quite a powerful one because certainly my experience of leadership has been that there's only so much you can do personally as a leader but really the the most important thing you can do is identify those people who you want to be the successful role models in an organization and and empower them are you seeing any any trends in how organizations approach dealing with diversity and inclusion and, and and whether role modeling is a is a facet in that i think the idea that role modeling needs to be factored in strongly is understood uh, and to a certain extent accepted. In terms of seeing lots of examples where this is happening, I, I have to honestly say that's, that's slightly trickier because one of the challenges, I think, is that even leaders who are very, very committed are still human. And this agenda, this idea, this way of working is bound to mean that from time to time we get it wrong 
we misstep, we misspeak, uh, we say and do things that seem to be counter to what it is that we are promoting within within the organization. And sometimes those who are around us are not as forgiving as they could be in recognizing that actually it takes time to change your behaviors around everything that you do. So I might have spent 40 years as a as a senior leader in an organization behaving in a particular way. I have now the experience that you, you described as a kind of light bulb moment that happens. And I, you know, and I think, aha, yeah, I'm going to now operate in this way rather than that way. Well, that can't happen totally overnight because I've spent 40 years honing behavior patterns. So I need to develop new habits. Uh, and this idea of it being about habits and how you support and help people to develop new habits, I think is quite key. It's a really interesting parallel. I was in conversation with Lindsay Hooper, who is the executive director of the Cambridge Institute for Sustainability Leadership. And I was, uh, I guess, pushing her for some some ideas on how boards could embrace a sustainability agenda and what, what were the kind of key practical steps what was the key framework for making sustainability a success and and she challenged me back and said well I you know I can give you I can give you tools and frameworks but actually the single most important thing a board can do is give that particular agenda time and and recognize that unless you allocate the time to reflect and think um, and as you say be patient with your, your implementation you're going to become frustrated very quickly and that's counterproductive in terms of trying to get the the objective that you're looking for I couldn't agree more. I think at a specific level, one of the things that I frequently do with organizations is try to, especially when you're talking about boards or leadership teams, is to encourage them when they are coming together to have the first item on their agenda being some testimonials, as it were, or testimonies about what people have done in their area of the business to advance this work. What did I do last month to have my bit of the organization be more inclusive or to drive diversity? Yeah, bring it down to a, to a practical individual level. Practical individual level, rather than uh, having the conversations all the time about what we as an organization need to be doing or striving towards. Because uh, there, yes, there is a a we in that corporate sense, but there is also the requirement for the individuals to act and, and drive things forward. Well, we've seen in recent times the, the power of individuals acting collectively and actually just what a difference that that can make. And I hope that's empowering to, to organizations and individuals. I think that you're absolutely right. There is a there is a, a, a risk of becoming overwhelmed if you look at the organizational challenge um, rather than at your own, your own operations within, within that particular challenge. So I guess the big question for me now is, given given what's going on in the world and we're in the middle of the, the pandemic recording um, this particular conversation, but has inclusivity become more or less relevant in the current crisis? And we you know what's 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 different, what's new, and um, how's your thinking being stretched? Well, I, I think it's far more uh, relevant and pertinent and impactful now. For for me as an individual and for the organization that I'm a part of, it has always been 
central. We've always believed the point is about inclusion. And in this particular situation where people are in disconnected work settings, it's even more important for managers, team leaders, senior leadership to be proactive in actively seeking to manage the inclusion of their people. I think people don't feel included simply because we wish it to be so. And we've talked to a lot of people over the years and asking them, you know, what is it that causes them to feel included? What what happens to have them experience this sense of inclusion? And, you know, it's very, very simple things. And those things can be driven when you are disconnected as well as when you're next to people. You know, it's about investing time in people. It's about simply informing people about what's going on. It's about saying thank you and praising people when they've done a good piece of work, but not just kind of off the cuff, but actually giving them a little bit of chapter and verse. And and one of the challenges I find in, in doing this work is that when we identify those specific things, they're almost written off because they seem so simple. And it's not hard, but it's not always easy to do. If you see my what I mean, definitely, and I think you think that the need to be much more conscious about it in a in a digital workplace in a remote working environment, I think, is ab- absolutely right. I mean, I've seen interesting parallels within our own organisation, but also talking to other leaders that there's a there's a category of people that feel almost overwhelmed by the high volume of interaction through, you know, whatever particular video conferencing process or suite that they're using because every casual interaction with somebody has now become a formal meeting that needs to be booked and it's face-to-face and and in some senses it's quite intense face-to-face on on video conference there's that category of people but there's also a category of people who for want of a better phrase sort of fall off the edge of the mainstream process so that may be their role in the organization it may be their personality they may be more introverted It, it may be as a result of the the failings of others not to consciously pull them in but I, I worry that we're going to see a polarisation of people who are included in the broadest sense and, and who aren't. Yeah, I think that that's probably a real worry. Uh, the, the word that you use there that actually strikes home for me is consciousness. I think we have to be conscious about how we interact with others, taking account of our understanding of their needs in terms of how they communicate, to the extent really of actually asking them what works best for them. The idea that, you know, a a video conference is now the way of doing it is just as problematic as thinking when we were office-based that the way of doing it was calling people into your office or your meeting room to have a one-to-one all the time. You would never do that. You would seek opportunities around the water cooler or in the kitchen or on your way to grab some some lunch or whatever it might be. And you would have those conversations with people. I think there needs to be a consciousness during this period and beyond of what, what do those casual conversations look and feel like now that we're in a disconnected world? How can we, if you not formalize them, but trigger those conversations that are about enabling people to feel engaged, but aren't about a specific work agenda that you're wanting to put to them. 
Yeah, and I think a lot, you know, a lot of organisations are setting up chat facilities to to allow people to ch- chat alongside. But of course, you have to be in the chat group to be on the chat facility. So again, back to being thoughtful and conscious about that. Yeah, absolutely. But if we if we think about uh, chat with a small c as opposed to a chat group, then you know one way of structuring this, which uh, certainly we've we're suggesting through uh, one of our programs, is that you know if you've got a group of I don't know, eight people in your team, then you have every individual being responsible for connecting with, in a non-work way, one other individual at least once a week or how they decide. So number one contacts number two, number two contacts number three, number three contacts, and so on. So that what you're creating are communication channels for individuals who can then know that somebody's going to be in touch on a Wednesday evening or a Tuesday morning uh, just to check out who, how they're doing and they have that opportunity to engage. Uh, and there are lots of other ways in which you can do that. But I think the idea of actively focusing on how you can have those informal conversations, those check-ins, but that it's not all falling on the manager or the team leader connecting with eight people one-on-one twice a week, which then becomes a chore and burdensome for the team leader. And, and, and then you get you risk the burnout. So the manager's manager now is kind of uh, <laughs> trying to support and cope with somebody who's feeling under severe pressure. Yeah, and and finding a way to balance it so it doesn't feel like you're in you're you're being included within a process rather than within something natural. Yeah. And I and I think one of the one of the interesting takeaways from the certainly from the feedback that I've I've been hearing from people is just that sense that we now really understand what the office environment did do for us, what we valued from that, and and so much of that is about human contact. It's about enjoying the differences it's about the ability to be casual in our interaction i think that you know that brings us back to a much greater thoughtfulness a much greater understanding of 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 what we need from the human relationships in business yes i mean i I remember you know uh somebody who i would uh, in years gone by have seen as a friend i've not seen him for a long long time charles handy uh wrote a book probably 20 years ago or one of his books, he's written several, where he was predicting people working from home. Uh, it was predicting the, you know, the demise of the workplace, as it were. And then some, in fact, it was probably more than 20 years ago. And then some 10 years later, he was, did a series of reflections on this to say that actually the, the workplace provides far more than a place to work. And therefore, it is unlikely that the workplace will ever totally be discontinued, even for, if you like, administrative or office-based work. However, there's likely to be a shift in terms of what it is that we see uh, the workplace being used for. And I think that that's being borne out now. I mean, people are feeling bereaved of uh, the office in a way that perhaps three months ago we would have all thought was uh, pretty impossible. Uh, we, we were reflecting uh, recently in a board meeting on on just how we never we never thought twice when somebody came into the office, put their headphones on and sat quietly in the corner for eight hours and then went home. And the, the idea of coming into an office to do that now seems absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> 
But it's interesting. I mean, it's interesting to think about what the, the future of the, the workplace is and, and, and the role in that. I guess I guess one of the opportunities from a from an inclusivity or for even from a diversity perspective is to recognize that when you remove the dominance of the physical office environment, perhaps it opens up new opportunities to involve people in the business who who couldn't, whether that's through disability, whether that's just simply through the geography of where they're located. Do you see that as a positive opportunity for businesses to embrace now? I do. I, I think that, uh, and it refers back, I think, to a, an earlier point or question that you raised, is that this this shift will mean that some people will find it more challenging because they had enjoyed, as it were, being uh, right at the centre of whatever was going on in the office environment. And they might now be struggling in the, the, the more disconnected environment. And for those who were perhaps on the periphery because of, say, geography, that's an important one, or simply the ability to access or because of their introversion, are now able to engage almost on their own terms and using the technology in a way that does not disadvantage them in the way that they perhaps had experienced when they were uh, required physically to be in the office space or to respond to something in the moment. Now uh, we get notice for the meeting that's coming up, if only to have a link that's sent. And so there is that opportunity to to prepare for those who need to do that in a way where in the office environment, the manager or team leader might say, oh, can we just have a quick get together about X and pulls half a dozen people in, two of whom are thinking, I can't respond to this because I need to think about it and therefore say nothing. And now therefore then thought to be either disinterested or uh, lacking ability or simply not caring, whereas what they needed was time to think and reflect. The new normal that we've got at the moment perhaps provides more options for that. Uh, And when it comes to those more identifiable groups, if you like, you talked about disability and, and geography, I think the smart leader can actually be proactive in seeking to be much more uh, focused on drawing those in those individuals in, into the picture and perhaps even use this opportunity uh, especially where those companies might be expanding because you know there are businesses that are growing even through this time to recognize that there are now recruitment opportunities for uh, people who perhaps they hadn't thought about providing opportunities for getting on to the shortlist in in days gone by. It's interesting thinking about that need to have greater awareness. And I've certainly seen a number of organizations and leaders who I know focusing on how do you uh, ensure productivity where people are working in a different way, in an asynchronous way. And and one of the positives, I think, is that leaders in, in the broadest sense, you know, not just organizational leaders, but right down the management chain and anyone who's fulfilling a leadership role within an organization have suddenly had to have, but but do have much greater visibility of the social and domestic and other contexts that people work in, because we're seeing that and we're having to be conscious of that and we're having to work around that. And I think that, you know, that is a really, a really positive thing. And to your point about recruitment, I think the 
the successful organizations will will find a way of embracing that positively going forward ra- rather than seeing that as a reason why there isn't a good fit with the role and um, there's now an opportunity to get the best person for the for the role and embrace the differences as well as the the competencies absolutely and and, and to recognize that to, to get the best out of your people and to treat them all equally well means treating people differently in the very real sense of the word you know if somebody's working from home and they're also being you know for the first time the class tutor for for their two children then that's a very different situation for that individual in terms of when they might be most productive how they can operate well than for somebody who is living on their own without those distractions but perhaps with all sorts of things going on for them in terms of feeling isolated, perhaps frustrated and uh, challenged because they've not actually had a uh, seen a, a real human face that they recognize in the flesh for the last two or three months. Those require different approaches. And I think that the almost without having to drill it down to leaders, I think most leaders are becoming aware that different treatment is not something that is a problem, but actually a requirement if they're going to get the best out of their people. Yeah, absolutely. Back to back to cold, hard productivity. Um, sounds very simple, but you've got to know what makes people tick and, and respecting the differences and embracing the differences, I think, is absolutely the heart of that. How central do you think recruitment and the role of HR departments is to making progress with this agenda? And I think we've even in the conversation earlier, we've identified that actually organisational culture is is absolutely critical. But I think so often the the spotlight shines on HR teams and recruitment to to achieve diversity goals. Is that the wrong approach? Are the things that recruitment teams can be doing where where does the problem start to get fixed? Recruitment teams and HR cannot attract people to apply to an organisation that those potential applicants see as being either dysfunctional, discriminatory, or not a place where they would be welcome. And it doesn't matter what HR and recruitment do, they can only attract those people into the the funnel, as it were, who perceive the organization as a place where they would want to spend their time. And that's not about the, I don't know, the, the handful by you know proportionately of people involved in the recruitment and attraction process it's about the hundreds and perhaps thousands of people who make up the organization and hr cannot overcome the negative messages and i'm being very direct <laughs> uh, that might be being put out by thousands of people about the organization by uh, a well-worded advert and i think that, that that's where this whole work uh, in trying to increase diversity has tended to fall down in that it's left to HR and recruitment. You know, it's their target, as it were, with little or no real understanding that actually it's the thousands of people who work for the company or the hundreds or even the twenties who work for the company. They are the most effective recruiters or rejectors. 
And if that's the starting point, then you do have to begin to think about, uh, well, so what does this mean in terms of how do we how we operate? And of course, the challenge with relying on the tens or hundreds or, or thousands of, of staff is that for, for them to play that ambassadorial role, um, they need to be doing that authentically. Uh, and that comes back to the authentic approach taken by, by leadership. Absolutely. And, and it's not actually about them going recruiting. It's about how they are perceived by others within the organization. And if people don't feel that they have a sense of feeling included in an organization, particular groups or, or, or particular individuals, then they are unlikely to be talking up the organization when they meet their friends or their peer groups. And they are certainly not going to be suggesting to anybody that they care about that this would be a great place for them to apply for a job. And so, you know, it's it's that balance. If, uh, if I'm attracted to an advert about an organization, and I know three of, and these days you've got LinkedIn, haven't you? You can, you know, you know that you're LinkedIn with half a dozen people who work there or who've got contacts with it. And you contact one of those and say what you think and, and, and they hesitate. They might not even say don't apply. You think, ah, oh, okay, maybe this isn't such a great idea after all. Uh, so it, it's that. I, I think that we are all in an organization ambassadors by default. It, it's not some matter of being, you know, I'm going to be an ambassador. But whether we like it or not, we are giving out those messages about the organization. Yeah, and we'll be, we'll be giving out whatever whatever the authentic message is, whether it's one that we want to give out or, or not. I mean, I think interesting, I mean, most of our listeners, I'm, I'm confident, will be on board with the the moral and social imperative for embracing this this agenda authentically. But of course, there's, there's also a, a commercial need to do that as well. And I think, you know, I increasingly feel that the, the employee, employer, employee brand reflects the client, the commercial brand of an organization. And it's very hard to position a brand commercially without having an aligned employer brand with it. And that's why it's so important to actually work on that internal um, authenticity and engagement with agendas like this. Oh, critically important, I think, Matt, because apart from anything else, it's impossible for any organization to sustain any activity that they don't understand is having a positive impact on the productivity of the organization. I think that becomes really quite difficult to do that in any sustainable way. And I think one of the things that I've seen over the years, which uh, I feel slightly um, frustrated by, is the many organizations who relegate their inclusion where they don't even talk about inclusion, their diversity and equality work to their charity function. It's their, you know, their, their uh, in community engagement work, as it were, and fail to recognize that actually if they do this well, then what they end up with are engaged, committed individuals in their organization who are super productive, keen to not just support, but to actually promote the organization and its brand and to go the extra mile. You know, it's fairly simple, actually. Why would I go the extra mile if I do not, if I don't feel included? 
if I don't feel safe, secure, part of the team, part as though I belong, valued and respected, if I don't experience those things, why would you expect me to go the extra mile? It's not going to happen. Exactly. And in a time when we, you know, we increasingly talk about people being required to bring their whole self to work. You know, actually, if 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 that's genuinely what we mean, then we, we it has to be the whole, um, and we and we have to we have to absolutely embrace that. I had I mean I had an interesting reflection after one of the conversations that that we'd had many months ago, which was, however connected you feel with this agenda, with with making genuine, authentic progress with this agenda, you also have to showcase what you are doing. And I did a review of our own social media work, our web presence. And I was surprised at how little of our own diversity that shone a light on. And, and, and I kind of, I could have, I could have turned that around and said, well, that's a, that's a marketing team issue or, but I thought, well, actually probably what that suggests is that even though we're doing all of these things, we're, we're very passionate about this agenda. The fact that we're not shouting about it says something about our own prioritization of that. So I, you know, I think one of the opportunities for organizations who do want to have an authentic approach to, to this is, is actually to look for where they are doing good things, where there are positive stories to tell and to tell those stories. Because you know, back to your point, nobody's going to come to an organization that doesn't look like a place where they're going to be comfortable. We, we shoot ourselves in the foot if we don't tell those stories and marketing teams, digital teams have got a role to play in that. Absolutely. And, and they need to be helped to understand that the whole diversity piece where you're talking about a diverse organization where people feel included and are passionate about the value that they get from diversity and difference, that that is also the same in the marketplace. And that even though our potential clients or buyers might not themselves be as good at the work as we might be, they recognize organizations who are doing it well, and those are organizations that they want to engage with. So it's for the the people who are involved in, in marketing and promoting brands, they need to be helped to recognize that this is not just something, going back to the previous point, that is happening in terms of HR and recruitment. But it's a thread that runs right through the organization and impacts at every level, not just in terms of the staff, but also stakeholders, clients, regulators, and so on. And if they aren't seeing those things being exemplified, and if you're not shouting about them, as it were, then crudely, you're missing a trick if you're doing it well. You shoot yourself in the foot, mind you, if you shout about it and there's nothing behind the shout. But uh, you are missing a trick if you are making progress and have that real sense within the organization of people feeling engaged and feeling passionate. Then share the love. And you're absolutely right to flag that that you shoot yourself in the foot if you haven't got some substance behind your your message, because, of course, you know, I think most leaders would agree that your your harshest critics, your your most difficult audiences, your internal one, um, who will you know increasingly in a positive way call you out and and hold you to account. And I think that's a that's a posi- a positive trend. But one of the particular challenges right now is that businesses leaders uh, are facing you know, some very difficult commercial trading environments potentially, and there's a lot of different pulls on their time and on the, and on their financial resources. How do we make sure that that 
diversity and inclusion and equality don't go on the back burner in favour of more pressing commercial survival needs? I, I think that, that that question is is frequently raised, even in the pre-lockdown days, where <laughs> individual leaders would say, well, you know, we are very, very interested in this, uh, but we just need to get this done first, and then we'll get on to this. And having people understand that this is part of getting it done, rather than what you do when it's done, that's the point. If people do not fully understand that having your people, whether they are the most junior or the most senior, feeling included is not an absolutely pivotal, fundamental thing that you have to strive to achieve in order to get things done, as opposed to what you're going to do when things are done. That's where the conversation needs to start that you know inclusion is the point and for well, any leader worth their salt would actually crawl over broken glass wouldn't they to get a team filled with people who felt respected you know uh, safe secure able to engage with their teammates if you can achieve that then actually the things that you want to get done that becomes maybe not simple but certainly You've you've done the hard bit, and I think what you what you've done there is absolutely articulate why dealing with with these sorts of issues is is not a project. It's not a project we need to get to. It's a it's a cultural shift. It's a it's a long term commitment um, to making stronger, more engaged, more productive organisations. And it's a and it's an ongoing conversation that leaders need to be having with their people. You know, it's 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 not done when you've signed off the policy. And I think that that's been a big, big failure over time where, you know, it might be as high as the board. They sign off the policy and they think the job's done. Well, you sign off the policy and you're at the beginning of the beginning. The, the rest is about your behaviors and how you support and articulate those behaviors through the organization. And then, you know, in the management stuff, how you hold people to account. Uh, and one of the most important things that I've found to support this is if you've got a set of values that work for you and that people are signed up to, then rather than call people out for getting things wrong, just have the conversation with them about how their behavior or that practice fits with the values that they espouse and have that conversation. And of course, have the values there as a reference point. <laughs> so it be, be explicit about what those principles and values are. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's another conversation about those organizations <laughs> that, that have values but can't remember what they are. I mean, that tells its own story. <laughs> Worth the document. Yeah, absolutely. We, um, we, it's, it's interesting. We, 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 I think we, I say we, we as many, many leaders in organizations, I think will be um, encouraged to, to just check in with, not only how we're operating um, with our staff communities, but also check in with where we are with initiatives that relate to diversity and inclusion. I, I think it'd be really interesting to leave our listeners with your thoughts on on perhaps what are the top three things they should be thinking about over the next few months to to make sure that they are engaged with with the agenda, but also making some progress. Oh, that's a really great question. Certainly, the the number one thing I think is to 
self-reflection. So where are they in all of this? Ask yourself how you have been engaging with your own direct reports over this period. And to what extent would they be saying that they felt safe and secure in your virtual presence and able to come to you with their concerns or issues or indeed with new ideas of doing things? So I think that that's the first thing. Check check yourself. I think the second thing uh, would be to reflect on or find ways of looking to see how the different individuals in your team or in your organization, the extent to which there has been greater involvement by those that you might have thought were on the periphery in the previous life, as it were. Have they become more peripheral or have they moved towards the center you know, are they more involved? Are they more engaged? And whatever the answer to that question is in your mind, uh, to then ask yourself, well, what have you been doing or what have you been creating to cause either that positive shift or that negative shift? And I think the third one might be uh, something to do with your, your customers or stakeholders to see the extent to which they might be suggesting or sharing that you as an organization or as a team seem to be more or less diverse than previously. Having a groups of people that feel more or less engaged and included. So, you know, yourself, the, the, your, your direct team and, and stakeholders might be areas of focus in order to check in to see how things are progressing or regressing during this time. I think that's an, an excellent framework through through which to look at to look at things and and what I love about that is that you know actually doing those things well is is mainstream good leadership and actually in relation to diversity or inclusion or equality it's an opportunity to develop those mainstream leadership skills that we should be encouraging everyone to to embrace. Couldn't agree with you more and uh, I've often said that when you look through the diversity or inclusion window into an organization, you still see the whole organization. And I think where my colleagues in the inclusion industry, if I can put it that way, have often got it wrong, is in thinking that when you look through the window, you see the diversity and inclusion room as opposed to the entire organization. Yep, someone who's been uh, very instrumental in my own uh, leadership development once said to me that uh, how you do anything is how you do everything. And I think that that absolutely applies to to this agenda. Yeah, Limbo, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and um, I, I wish you good luck with the projects that you're working on. I hope we can catch up again soon. Great. Thanks, Matt.